We are a couple of months away removed from, uh, you know, a true banking crisis, the first one that a lot of people have ever seen, whether it was the consequences of the rise in interest rates to kill off inflation or negligence by a handful of bankers. It was really something to behold. Uh, Phil Green is the CEO and chairman of the board of Cullen Frost Bankers, which is a true survivor. In fact, the only one that made it through the banking debacle of the 80s. Then there was that little hiccup in 08 and 09, and they're still strong. And Phil Green joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Hey, thanks, David. Always good to be with you. This one was really, this was a tough one uh, because it, it went to the, the essence of confidence in sort of the banking system. And, and so what did you, as a CEO, what did you do? What was your job, number one, to, to go out and reassure all your, all your customers? Well, you know, Honestly, the job number one uh, as a CEO is to uh, try and run a company and be a part of a company, I should say, that really prepares for this. Because in these kinds of crises, the the uh, it's not so important what you do in the moment. It's it's important what you did before that. You know, and I have something that uh, you know we learned during the during the 80s that you mentioned is that, and I've said this time and time again, that the only liquidity you have in a crisis is the liquidity you bring to the crisis, you know, and so you better have some. And so, uh, you know, we had, um, we had prepared for that. We began building our liquidity, uh, really starting. I remember when we did it, um, you know, specifically this time uh, to the unusually high levels it was, was uh, we did it in August of of 2020. And that's when uh, we just said, look, we're not buying any of these bonds. We, we, there's no price discovery. Who knows what the real price is? The Fed's buying everything. And so we're just going to build liquidity. That's going to cost us money. We probably gave up 10% of our earnings to build the liquidity we did. But we liked the optionality it gave our shareholders and, and turns out our depositors as well, because we weren't sure how much of that buildup in deposits would happen. And so it's just a, um, uh, you know, it's part of our culture that liquidity is important. Uh, the the, uh, you know, just the sound institutions are important. So those were the real important things. And so when you go into a crisis like what happened with Silicon Valley and you go into that crisis with um, only lending out about a little less than 40 percent of your deposits and you have 20 percent of your deposit base in a checking account at the Federal Reserve. I mean, that's that's when those things pay off. And, and so that's that's what our job was. And that's what we did. This one, it seemed different. I mean, we've seen, unfortunately, I saw the 80s and I was here with you yeah. talking to your predecessor, Dick Evans, during 08 and 09 through, through that one. But this one was so quick. It was, some people are calling it the, uh, the uh, uh, social bank crisis because everything, everybody could move money on, on their cell phones and just didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. You know, I think... Uh... It was unusual. I think it, it was it was um, you know it, uh, it it was aided you know that uh, that that phenomenon that you talked about by probably the the kinds of deposit bases that they had. They were a little bit you know uh, specialized and concentrated, and um, and so it was it was too bad to see what happened, and it happened very quickly. I think one difference I noticed. Um, I'll say on the community bank side, I know this is true for, for Frost, but I believe it's true on the community side as well, is that we were, our customers didn't talk to each other on social media. They, they called their banker and they, uh, and they listened hard for not just what they were saying, because I talked to 
you know, two or three customers, you know, that, uh, and I remember talking to one of them, I gave him like three data points. The data points I gave you also pointed out that insiders would buy in. And um, he said, Phil, you know, I really appreciate that. Um, thanks for giving me those numbers, but I really just like hearing the sound of your voice. And, you know, it's, uh, it makes me feel so much better. And, and, and I think that's true. You know, we'd equipped our bankers. You talked about, you know, how we, we talk to our customers. We, um, we, um, we equipped them to know those facts about us. And, um, so when customers did call or when we were proactive, and actually I think we ended up calling more customers and called us. At least I know that. That's the report I've gotten back. We, they were confident and they heard that same sound of their voice and our people when they talked. And, and I think that's really been true. Uh, you know, with the community banking, uh, you know, uh, industry and, and in this state and really in Main Street all, o- all over the place. So that's what we've been seeing. You know, that goes to the heart of really of one of the fears. And I don't know that it's, it's completely dissipated that coming out of this is that we'd end up like Canada. I mean, Canada's got about 90 banks, realistically half a dozen that have all of the all of the business in that country. We've got a couple of thousand that are spread across you know, spread across and, and big regionals and super regionals like you are, as well as the big banks. And the, the fear was, and, and how do we avoid all the money gravitating back toward, you know, a handful of big banks in this country? Yeah. You know, I, I think, honestly, uh, David, we're, we're, we're past the panic phase. And I think what we're in is just um, we're just doing business now. I mean, you know, banks are doing business. Business is about competition, right? We bank. So let's take Texas. Okay. You gave the, the, the national numbers. Texas, we probably bank almost half of the over 400 banks that exist in Texas today. So we're their banker. So we hear from them. We, and, and I've talked to our people about what are they hearing? You know, early on, there were some of the fiduciary um, entities that said, you know, I just feel like I'm a fiduciary. I need to move money into someplace that's, that's, uh, you know, outside of your particular bank, let's say they're a community bank. What I've heard is that most of that money, I'm going to say, let's say virtually all have gone back, you know, from the, from the panic point of view. But what they're fighting today is, is a competitive a dynamic. That's what do you have to pay to get deposits to bank with you? You know, because there, there's that interest rate factor. That's more the issue that's in place today with community banking in America. And that the big in, guys can pay more than you can pay. Well, they might. Or that but, you have to pay more they than... don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, you could go online, we'd go online right now. I, I could look at the at the rate pages of the of the three largest banks in the country, and I'm sure they do specialized pricing for for individuals that you know that ask. I'm, I guess they do, but we, we can look at that page. They pay ex- a lot less. I really the competitor today is the federal government because the 90 day Treasury bill is is such a high rate. So. I think what what community bankers are figuring out right now is, okay, they've been in zero rates for a really long time. People have been sensitized to that. Now they're seeing that there's more that can be done with their money. What do they have to pay to keep it? And that's going to impact spreads. But, you know, like I say, that's business. That's just competition. You figure it out. You figure out your cost structure for that, and you move on. You know, I, I want to talk about what's going on right now because – now I I watch the stock market a lot closer than I watch the banking business, okay. and you you mm-hmm. watch back. But in the stock market right now, I think it's just remarkable. It, it, they're, they're climbing this wall of worry. We've got higher yeah. interest rates. They're talking about a recession that's imminent. Of course, it's been imminent for two years. Uh, we've got the debt ceiling going on, 
And we're looking at markets in some cases that are making new highs. So what's the what's the environment out there for for capital formation and borrowing money and and building and growth? What do you see? Well, I think you have to look at it a couple of different ways. Actually, we look at it three different ways as we as look at our loan portfolio, which is you know how we provide most of the capital. And that is, I, I'd say on Main Street, it's softening some, some but there's still we're still seeing increased borrowing. If you look at commercial industrial loans, what I call Main Street loans, uh, they're still moving up, um, uh, you know, in a in an orderly way. Well, that's confidence. And, yeah, and and you know, are you seeing do higher interest rates make an impact on small business and whatever? Yeah, they, it does. You know, like I say, the cost of napkins matters to small business, and so when they see their their rates go up, it makes a difference. But I don't think it's really, and and I'm talking Texas because that's where we operate. But I don't think that we're seeing a dramatic change in um, in what our borrowers are doing on the CNI side or the regular commercial entity. Now, when you look at commercial real estate. Yeah, there there has been pencils down on on a lot of projects because, you know, as cap rates have moved up, as interest rates have moved up, as property taxes moved up, as 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 um, operating costs have moved up, it's harder to meet the debt service coverage ratios that that are required to get these deals done and to get them financed in the permanent market. So uh, and, and to get the kind of equity returns that that investors want. And so we've seen that slow down. And I don't think we're going to see that pick up much until we see some relief on rates. And um, but uh, but that's that's where I think the the biggest impact has been. So you look at the consumer, the the consumer still uh, been borrowing money to invest in real estate in their homes primarily. And we've seen our consumer real estate really be at record levels because, interestingly, it's the right product for the right time. You've got a two or three percent mortgage. You're not getting out of that, right? right. So if you do something, you're going to do something to your house, Absolutely. and you're going to borrow. You know, you're not doing a cash out refi. You're you're going to borrow a home a improvement loan or a home equity loan. That's what you're going to use that money for. So that's been going great. But uh, that's really kind of what we're seeing. It's commercial real estate that is that is the softest right now. So let me draw back. During your banking career, you see the FDIC guarantee levels steadily move up. And mm-hmm. and we're you know it was I don't know, finally got to a hundred thousand for a long time and now it's two hundred fifty thousand. Some of the suggestions are there should that all uh, all deposits should be insured by the by the FDIC or at least it's time to raise those levels again. What do you think? Yeah, I I think it's hard to argue with them raising the levels just because inflation just erodes those kinds of hard dollar amounts that are put in. So I don't have any problem with that. I'm not. Uh, supportive of the FDIC uh, covering all the um, uh, the insured deposits, but you know my, my DNA is. I'll show you. So you know, if you look at, at, at this report here, that's the uh, annual report of Frost Bank for uh, uh, 1933. Yeah, someone <laughs> gave these to me when I became CEO. I don't even know who. I keep these on my credenza, and in this report. Um, a couple of things I'll read you this one. It said that the, it, it's single space type, you know, it's from Joseph Ross, who ran the bank then. And he said uh, the quote bank holiday of March came and passed without evidence of a loss of confidence on the part of our depositors. And the fact is that during during this period, the reputation and general standing of the bank seemed to improve instead of deteriorate during this period. So that's that is our 
legacy, if you will, and to go through these things. But in this same report, he rails, he rails about the introduction of some new program, which we know as the FDIC program. <laughs> he said it was a more it was a moral hazard and it cost him all of twenty thousand eight hundred and seven dollars and fifty seven cents. So I, I think it's um I, I think, David, that we need to, uh, as a as a country, as an industry, as investors, as policymakers, we need to get over this stigmatization of of uninsured deposits. And yes, there can, like anything else, it can go to seed, and you can have too much with the wrong customer base. But you know, you can't expect regional banks who support these economies we're in that if someone wants to develop something in Dallas, it's a great resort, it's going to create jobs, and it's going to be a $50 million deal. What are we supposed to do? Cobble together all these $250,000 savings account, loan it to this guy? What are these people supposed to do when they want to <laughs> get a mortgage and they want to improve their homes? I mean, and, and the fact is we're loaning that uninsured deposit money back to these these large right. deposits and 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 recognizing that it shows you that banking is a important element of the economy for the that we operate in we we match together people who don't have savings with people or you know, people that do and we put that together and it we don't have to be the smartest guys in the room but you've got to operate with a lot of discipline and judgment there's a tremendous amount of probity that that's required. And and so that, that's the game. And you sign up for it. Yeah. 10 to 1 leverage, you have to. Well, going back to Mr. Frost, that was a Texas-based bank at the time. You're still yeah. a major regional Texas-based bank. Is there something different? Is there something unique about Texas and about this economy and about the ethos of the people of Texas? that Different from, you know, the Silicon Valley banks of the world, for example? Uh, I, I can't speak directly to Silicon Valley because I'm, you know, I'm not right. a Californian and I don't know the know their situation. But I can say this. This is what I believe about Texas. Texas is a very relational um, state, you know, and state of mind. And it is. Um, and I think we do build relationships. And I think that. Um, I'll say this, you know, banks can't build. You can't build a bank on scared money. And Texas wasn't built on scared money, and 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 we there is a uh, there is a wholesomeness of people coming together and trusting uh, bankers who have sound judgment to put these things together, put their money together with others, and make these economies grow. I think Texas is comfortable with that. I think we've got a a, a raft of, of of small community banks that believe in that and help with that, and. Um, you know, so I, I think that's that's somewhat unique about Texas. And everyone knows it's the best business environment in the world. I wouldn't, you know, I'd put it up against anyone. I don't think you get much argument on that. And so I think all that together makes makes Texas a little bit different. Phil Green is chairman and CEO of Cullen Frost Bankers and a true survivor and overseeing a bunch of true survivors. And, and, and you've got the credentials to prove it. It's always good to speak with you. Thank you for the time. Thanks, David. Thanks. For more of our conversation, go to KRLD.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.